Hello and welcome to the Invisible Oranges podcast. I am John Rosenthal, Editor-in-Chief of Invisible Oranges, here with my co-host Ted Newble. Hey, my name is Ted Newble. And uh, we are also joined today with our special guest host, Brain Smasher. It's your boy, the smasher of brains. Thanks for having me. And uh, today we have a special guest. We are joined by the melodic death metal band Majesties. Why don't y'all introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Carl Skildum. I uh, play guitar. My name is Matt Kirkwald, and I play bass. This is Tanner Anderson, and I play guitar and vocals. So I figured we'd just dive right into it. Uh, y'all are a melodic death metal band, and I want to know why you feel melodic death metal is so maligned. Well, I mean, I think it's maligned in certain corners, but it's also beloved in, in many ways. And I, I, think, I think there's two kind of branches that people think about when it comes to melodic death metal. There's the, the early stuff that I think feel everybody I know seems to revere and really love. And then there's kind of the branch off that happened kind of in the late 90s and beyond where a lot of new bands popped up, especially out of hardcore, and they took one particular album's framework and beat it into oblivion. And I, I think we all know what that album is, but it... You know, it was a masterful album that that just got over overdone so many times, um, and yeah, for sure. and it uh, it moved into it just it devol- it evolved into different things too. I mean, it, it, you listen to melodic death metal bands of the the aughts or whatever, and and they have a different sound than that kind of just wild everything goes early early days stuff. So it it just means different things to different people. And it's easy to slag it now if you don't like the new stuff. But I, I think if you go back and look at those earlier records, they're they're really intense and wild in a different way that maybe hasn't been really the the standard lately. Yeah, I think yeah, you really like, say. Sorry. we've we've taken part in the maligning of it as well. I mean, like I think sometimes we've all experienced like, oh, this is my friend who listens to metal. You should meet this other friend that listens to metal, and you're like, fuck, why is this? my entry point like why does this have to be the thing that's defining like there's not a chance we're going to listen to the same things and if you say like melodic death metal that's somehow even worse because it can mean just about anything the way it kind of got into popular culture like and there are even like before the early stuff that's beloved you know like there's an sort of this gray area of bands that are like is it melodic death metal or is it like a weird take of like you said slaughter of the soul or is it just like this post-1999 stuff that just sounds like dad's vaping, which is what it's been for <laughs> 24 years? <laughs> dad's vaping. Jesus Christ. I call it like power metal of the growls. Uh, it's kind of where Arch Enemy went. I mean, like, my first be like a lot of death metal band was Clayman. Got to oh, be like yeah, one of the I, most remarkable and quickest like rise and falls that I can of any genre I've ever heard. For sure. I mean... And there's there's a lot of stuff that I really like, even in the in the latter years that, you know, it's different. And if I were to be honest with myself, I'd say, well, the death metal element is just really mostly in the vocals and, you know, an occasional blast beat here or there. But you could put a a clean vocal on it and it'd be power metal or be, you know, just melodic metal. And And I like that stuff, too. So, you know, it's hard for me to you know, rap anything or give anything a bad rap. I, I just, it's changed so much from what, what I thought was like the perfect music. And that was those early days where you just had 
riffs after riff after riff and harmony after harmony and intense drumming and a, you know a, a, a vocalist who's going nuts the whole time and and that that to me was a, a just a revelation the first time I heard it and I've been chasing that looking for bands that sound like that and you know, there's the whole no fashion and wrong again kind of glory days and there's a ton of amazing records that came out in a short time frame and then it just sort of moved on into different things and I, I think that's normal everybody wants to hear something different after <laughs> anything gets oversaturated after spending like 23 years hearing a diluted version of good stuff, it's like, this is so refreshing. This is what we've been talking about. Even yeah. 30 years though, because like melodic death metal is one of those genres that means nothing. Like it's certainly like, what does melodic mean? What does death metal mean? Like it's none of those things. Like it is melodic. It is inspired by death metal, but like the first at the gates album is death metal. The second one is arguably not you no, know, like, they're all melodic melody ex just exists, you know, but like dark tranquility sky dancer is death metal is the gallery or is it more thrash and like kind of in this firmly established melodic death metal style of Gothenburg specifically. I like the idea of making statements, but saying is it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> you decide you do the research, you know, do Choose your own, your own research. death metal adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not not quite sure where I stand, but you know, do your own research. <laughs> Don't trust me. <laughs> the mainstream media oh. calls Skydancer death metal. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, talked about no fashion for a second. Can you, uh, Tanner, elaborate on what happened today regarding no fashion? Yeah, I didn't even know if I, I guess I'm allowed to say this. Like, Miss Nyquist from No Fashion contacted 20 Bucks Spin, which is incredible because, um, you know, we ripped off the No Fashion logo. Uh, I redrew it at the advice of Ben uh, <laughs> and made the 20 bucks spin logo. In any case, like hit up Dave and shit, Ben, do you have the text I sent you with like what he said? Cause I don't, I don't have my phone actually near me. Hey Tanner, I would say just one thing. You didn't rip it off. You made a loving tribute to that logo. Oh, oh. for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and by the way, well, I heard Majesties and thought, fuck, this is good, like it was back in the beginning of the 90s. I really need to have that album in my collection, also to have it in stock to sell here in Sweden. Hell yeah. Wow. That's like, what more of an endorsement do you need than Thomas Nyquist from No Fashion reaching out after you ripped off his logo? Like, <laughs> pretty That's happy. That's a bullseye. So that feels I mean, pretty no good. No Fashion is so important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think about, like... All when the, you first when you went from Optimal Winds to Obsequii, I thought I was really excited because I thought, okay, now finally tons of people are going to realize what he's referencing and go back and find all this old no fashion stuff, all the leaf, etc. And it kind of worked, but this is, I think, way more likely to do that. And I hope that's what happens, you know, in the wake of the success. Yeah, the the. The, the word success gives me the gives me the the willies because I, I I feel like it's still fresh and people are making up their minds about hearing this. I, I you know it's like it's uh it was a it was a little bit of a do we dare do this because like you said earlier it, it it's been such a a maligned genre and and I think that it 
it's if you look at even some of the people who were from that early era and they're putting out new records today or you know putting together new projects and and the, the kind of the feeling like ah it's it's kind of what I want but it's not exactly and and wading into that discourse has been a little bit um, nerve wracking in a in a way that I'm glad to hear that you know the, a, a handful of folks are starting to pick up on it and, and enjoy it so that feels pretty good. Yeah, and speaking of uh, nerve wracking, <clears throat> you guys went um, right out of the gate with a full length. You know, no demos, no EPs beforehand. What kind of led to the decision to kind of lead with a you know a full length? Well, that was kind of the idea right from the day from day one. I mean, Tanner, I think you pretty much said to me, "Let's write a melodic death metal album." Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. That sounds like fun, and we just did it. You know, without any vision for who's going to hear this. Or is it going to ever be a record that that you know anyone besides the, the two, two of us here? Um, and we you know we just did it for fun to make some of the music that we wanted to hear and maybe weren't hearing enough of that was new. Yeah, we're and, just two guitar bros that wrote twenty six songs in a year. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah, we called it down to our our top ten favorite songs out of that that batch and. And it was 2017 that we had the full album sequenced and figured out as, you know, these are going to be the songs. So we've been really sitting on it for a, a while um, and not sure what the plan was going to be with it. And it, it was only really in the last couple of years that it started to come together as this is going to be the record and and these are going to be the people who are, are making it happen. And a little bit to what you said, Ben, about like when you were saying like, oh, I think Obsequia will signal some of those influences like i kind of feel like when you were at least from like a pr standpoint or a label standpoint when they have to like write these descriptors about like you'll hear influences from x and y and z like sometimes the internet or like culture uh the metal culture on the internet i guess like can kind of feel like not insulted by those suggestions but i i just feel like I feel like in the present, the underground culture just feels healthier and more not discerning, just open to suggestion without kind of like taking that as law, you know? And so I I think it makes more sense just in the current climate um, to kind of signal some of those things or like, I don't know, bring, bring some people's awareness to it than it did maybe say in 2010. You know, I wanted to bring up, you know, because Carl had mentioned the album was essentially done in 2017. I was curious to what led to this period of time leading up to the album's release and why you sat on it for so long. Yeah, that's something. Uh, do you mind if I take that, Carl? Yeah, please do. Yeah, I guess, like, we had finished things. And we also, like, independently were both working on Inexorum and Obsequi Records. We were rehearsing for live stuff that never happened. That's a lot of work that of course, like no one ever hears about, you know, like all the shows you're going to play in 2020 flying people in, you know, nothing <laughs> happens. Uh, we also went through, I think four drummers in total um, before. And like, this isn't like the fault of people. Like we're not going to name names here or something, but I mean, like we really had operated as a five piece, like with Matt, kind of under the assumption like this is how we're going to record it and obviously drums are going to be first and things kept happening that were like out of our control we also had a vocalist you know like 
we were a completely different band. So like what, what happened is basically like the pandemic and a lot of kind of complications that everyone was having at that time. And also kind of the realization that like we were, you know, like I was going to move and we wanted to get this done. We wanted people to hear it. And so we were like, okay, well we don't, you know, at, at first I was practicing the drum patterns thinking like I can do this. Like I'll, maybe I'll go to Adam Tucker's studio and like record it at like two thirds speed or something that's really comfortable for me. Um, and then it was like, that's not going to be possible. <laughs> so I ended up programming the drums and I took a lot of care for it. And of course, you know, you, you put all these ghost notes in and like, you know, I'm starting with rudiments and like signing them exactly as like I would play. I really wanted this to be like a Daniel Erlinson performance. And then by the time I give it to Adam Tucker, we're like, it sounds pretty good when we smash it a little. <laughs> so it ended up sounding a little harder, but I still you know, we just didn't put that out in the forefront because, like, the second you you th- throw in like programming, people are again have made up their mind. You know, like this wasn't care wasn't put into this that it, it was, or we didn't. This wasn't you know. This is a completely different band than the way it's presented to people. Like, I I just think it took a lot of time because we had a lot of complications. I know. Would you Would you two agree with that, Matt Carl? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a big piece of it too for the the other people who came into our orbit was just that life happens too you know it, it it's having having a band is hard everyone has uh lots of things to juggle and um you know sometimes the timing is just not not right and for really when we got to the point of yeah i think it was around 2019 and we're you know we we were just kind of saying well is this going to happen we love these songs and how are we going to make this work it it just came down to i think this is going to be the the configuration it's just Matt and Tanner and I are, are going to finish this off. And, um, and and we didn't even have a vision for for it being out in the world the way it, it has become. I mean, that's just all a complete bonus. So, um, but yeah, life happened. And then, like, you know, the pandemic happened and that slowed things down a little bit too. But um, eventually we got here. So that's that feels pretty good. Yeah, way to stick the landing. I didn't realize there was so much turmoil. It seems like it just came together perfectly so good job making it sound like it was easy <laughs> well thanks i mean that's there was really a lot of work from all of us i mean ended up in roles that maybe like carl and i were like oh well, yeah we get to be in a band where we're both guitar players you know and obviously <laughs> it'd be nice if, it, if the future leads to that i mean i'm sure i'll i guess i'll continue to do vocals but again i wasn't supposed to be the vocalist you know do you think the vocals turn out the way you originally envisioned them to be i'm not sure i guess um, I'm happy with them. I hope that they're as distinctly different as possible, given the timbre of my voice, you know, from other things. We definitely wanted them to be a little, not like poppy, but like, you know, just like a little more attack, a little more kind of like, yeah, I, I think I, hopefully they're different than. Oh so. yeah. I think you like your exude ferocity. And I think there's maybe some kind of like rhythmic references for, um, Tompa. It's so weird. I never own. considered him like an influence. I, I know like a lot of people said that, but like really, I just have like a Martin Van Drunen kind of quality to my like to my no effort scream, you know. Like, and so from there, I guess like, Carl wrote all the lyrics. So I was really kind of like the you know that dictated a lot of the patterns. But yeah, I was really inspired by uh, like Frederick Arneson from Cromlech, uh, you know, like the vulture tones, especially like that performance 
was something I constantly like a bead to my own. I mean, I didn't nail it, but I definitely tried to practice getting to those like really high places that he does. You know, I wanted to ask, um, so obviously with melodic death metal, people generally have like the same kind of references when it comes to like the general population. So I know like with other interviews, people bring up in flames quite a bit. And while, you know, the gesturation and Horacle are definitely true as far as comparisons, I was curious as to what melodic death metal inspired you for this record. Well, I, I mean, in flames is definitely there. Um, but I think both Tanner and I gravitate, gravitated towards the first two records and especially subterranean if we're referencing them just because that for me that was the first record of theirs i heard and it was what set the hook um but i think the others other stuff that we we kind of nerded out on was you know it's a little bit of the not i don't want to say lesser known but you know the names that aren't actually household names for melodic death metal like um like like eucharist uh, a canarist quintet Fatal Embrace, and I'm just thinking of all of these, all, and, and even bands that you don't think of necessarily as melodic death metal, but still had that kind of feeling to it, especially in, in the, the younger days where it was just a mash of genres together, and it, it really wasn't any one thing other than just an intense batch of riffs and melodies and, and a kind of a synthesis of everything that I had loved in you know, each branch of extreme metal kind of coming together as one. And, and I don't know, I don't think we really overthought it that much more than that. <laughs> Tanner, I don't, do you remember uh, any conversations about specific bands as reference points beyond sort of the general? No, I mean, I don't, I really don't think we had that kind of conversation. Um, like while we were writing, we had had so many of those conversations prior. That's why we ended up with guitars in our hands in the same room, you know? So it, there would occasionally be a time where we were passing a, you know, a cable back and forth or something while we were tracking. Cause I mean, everything we write is a pre-production demo, you know, we're recording all these riffs and arranging them, but um, you know, we'd be like, Oh sick. Like that's a Nightingale's riff or, you know, cool. Like here's, here's a, a yeah, a something riff. Yeah. But, but, but on nothing. the first, uh, Dimension Zero EP penetrations from the lost world today, and I'm just like, oh what? shit, shit, yeah. Wow, I haven't heard that in forever. That's a great fucking release. And I've I've also been meaning to go back and listen to the first In Thy Dreams because that seems like a real close brethren. Yeah, I actually have the that wrong again cassette. It's a promo with like side A is In Thy Dreams, and the B side is. That dimension zero. I always associate those two because of that, but that's pretty fun. That's super cool. Yeah, uh, in thy dreams is a fantastic band, especially that first EP. Um, they're also in E flat, so that was like one of those recordings played along a lot to because that's what Carl and I tuned to. That is pretty atypical, you know. I I understand that there's a lot of like standard tuning, a lot of like tuning down to like D or C sharp. What made you pick E flat? You're already there. You know, we're intonated. <laughs> yeah, Obsequiae is tuned to E flat, and the guitars were set up that way. And I, I think we just were like, yeah, let's keep going. It sounds good. <laughs> and we also Nothing. utilized like a five string bass. So, I mean, we have that, um, you know, we've got that A sharp. Um, like, I think we can anchor a lot of those things that you hear in the low end with like the nice brightness um, and still have that heaviness that like, Matt did a lot on this album that brought out that low end pretty prominently. Well, what is your favorite part of the album? 
All three of you. That opening scream is still just grabs you by the balls every time. It's one of my favorite things. And the, and the other part too is towards the end of the record, things start to get just a little bit gnarlier and a little bit more, I hate to say this word in front of Tanner, but proggier, which tickles my musician bone just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I would say that opening scream is just kind of, it's, that's, uh, it, that I, I have high hopes that that scream will become iconic and replace other famous screams that open records. Oh, oh I, I, got one other, I got one other thing. The, the tapping riff, the tapping riff in uh, 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 Seekers uh, of the Ineffable is so much fun. I, I'd never really seen Carl play that riff before until we did the video a couple of weeks ago, and it gave me a whole new respect. Like, I hear what he's doing. I have an idea of what it looks like, but to actually see him do it, it's like, I cannot wait till the day we get to play that on stage and watch him just go ham on that part. Yeah. That, that is one of those things that's just ancient too. That's I've been playing that for for at least thirty years, and I, I was like, I gotta find a place to use it, and I finally did. <laughs> Your foot isn't on a monitor when you play that riff. We're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like I think Seekers um, might be the thing that I think about when I look at the album cover, um, just because. Yeah, it's got one of Carl's old riffs. It's in the the riffs immediately following the first one like are from an old autumnal winds demo that i thought it's rather a song i don't even think was released but we had a lot of like old cassettes a lot of old four track cassettes that were like yeah from the 90s like it, that's where this stuff came from you know so i i like to think like i'm paying respects to the ambitions i had as a teenager you know yeah i think i think that's that's it for me. That's like that. You know, I, I have a hard time picking a favorite song or part. I mean, it, it it's all it all kind of got funneled down to. It. I love each each bit of it kind of really equally, which is so such a cop out to say. But <laughs> what, what's what's cool about about it is that it it really is is a chance for me to go go back and kind of grab a little bit of a sense of that excitement that. I had when I first heard this stuff and um, it makes me feel young again. And I, I think that's what I, I love most about this record. Yeah. I couldn't really say it better. Like one of the things we've all had like Matt and Carl and I over like this whole period, um, especially since the pandemic, I feel like it got more, got a lot stronger, you know, like there wasn't a lot to kind of, not like there wasn't a lot to hope for, but you know, with a lot of uncertainty, you go to your friends, you go to people that you know you love, and especially people you work creatively with. And I think this record is an accomplishment of just uh, a great friendship, a good, great relationship between us. And it just is really rewarding to be able to do something collaboratively. It's not something I'm as accustomed to, so it means a lot. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah, it, I mean, it really was was a lot of friend hangout time, as much as anything else. I mean, we we were productive, but it was also just let's hang out and have have a good time and and just geek out on on this stuff and you know it, it kind of conjure new sounds in this this area that we we miss hearing and and that was that was really rewarding and and we're still still finding ways to do it now. It really sounds like this is what we love to do. And I can't think that about a lot of other albums that have come out lately, you know? 
So you talk about playing live a little bit. Let's get into that juicy stuff. Um, what's the potential there? Now that we have, have John with us, that it, that really opens that door. Um, but I don't, I don't think we're going to try to tackle that this year. We, I think the first thing we want to do is get get a, another batch of songs together that we can record the four of us. Um, so that's our that's our immediate goal. But you know, aside from the logistics of two guys in in on the East Coast and two guys in the Midwest, it you know, we'll, and we'll figure that out. But nothing's nothing's planned in the short term. But I mean, I, I love the idea that it's a it's a possibility now. Yeah, it was pretty alarming to have like tour offers within, you know, the week of it being released. And we're just like, fuck, you're kidding me. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's definitely something we're considering. So you brought up John and let's talk about John Kerr for a sec. He's an old friend of Invisible Oranges. We love John Kerr. And I understand the way he auditioned for Majesties was really interesting. So I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to hear this story. Yeah, I didn't know he auditioned. I'm dying to hear this story. (laughs) (laughs) From from what I understand, is he just learned the whole album and just that was it, right? No, that's not. He he just did that anyway. Um, like John Kerr is just one of those dudes that like his DNA has like the just race running through it. You know, like he's he's a melodic death metal like you know fiend, and I've always wanted to do something like with him, regardless of of this or anything else. Like it's just sort of been kind of a shame we haven't. Um, and so when the three of us were talking about like, Hey, we should, you know, obviously we should get a drummer now, like again, you know, if, if only so that like something tragic can happen and we can pick someone else. But as far as I know, John Kerr is still alive, so he'll be able to perform. (laughs) Yeah, no, he didn't. He just, he just learned everything. Like he's a quick study, you know, but there was nothing more than just like John Kerr rules. Let's have him in the band. Yeah, there wasn't really a, a good dude. I love John. Just, just a text from Tanner. Hey, can John be in the band? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's great when things work out like that, right? You just find the right person and bam. Yeah, I, there are some like, I don't know if you're referring to this or if like there's some lore that we have no hand in because like I've seen comment sections of sites that are like, you know, they're talking about like John Kerr drumming. They're like, I'm not sure if it's a drummer on the album. And it's like, I love this conversation. This is hilarious. But then you see people that are like, I have mutual friends with Tanner Anderson. I can confirm he does not play drums. And it's like, what? Have you not been in my house? Like, you're like, I'm so tempted to jump in and be like, you are right on so many levels, but you are wrong on so many as well. Like, I've always had a drummer in this band. And when we recorded the album, that wasn't possible. You know, we did what we could, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's like something about like still like John Kerr performs something and it's uploaded to YouTube. That's how he's in the band. Like, no, he was, we asked him last year, I think like before the album was released. Yep. Just last fall, I think is when it came together. Yeah. Well, you just released that video, which features his playing too, right? Yeah. He did that in like a day. <laughs> Of course he fucking did. Yeah. John, he's so good. Yeah, we filmed all our parts. Like he sent us the full song and we're like, oh well let's let's film some other parts so it's fun for everybody to see and, and really the, the he's the main attraction in all of that because that's that's the most fun to watch. 
but yeah, we just did that in in like a couple of couple of days after he sent that to us, and it was really fun to do. Yeah, let's let's really get comment sections riled up, John. Can, no. can you record yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Tell everyone this is how you join the band. I wonder what you think it would have been like to release this album in '96. Fucking awesome! Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a dream. I was trying to man. I. Th- I it, it, I was bringing these riffs to people that I was playing with back then, and they were looking at me like I was an idiot. What are What are you trying to do? And and uh, so I, I tried to find people who wanted to do this for a long time, and it, it just you know it was it really felt like I I may never meet anybody who wants to play this kind of music and and understands it, and and it was really just lucky to to be able to hold that fire. <laughs> for as long as I did until I met, you know, Tanner and, and Matt and, you know, and, and John and to, to be able to find people who love it as much as I do and, and actually have uh, excitement about playing it. Oh, I, I was just going to say, like, in some ways, I don't think I would have been ready um, back then. I mean, I was still like very much learning to play melodic death metal while it was coming out. Whereas like, so like a lot of the recordings I have, um, even at the end of the nineties are pretty shitty. Like the, especially the rough autumnal wind stuff. Whereas like Carl has albums, like he has, you know, he has a, a resume of like exactly what he said, actually being capable and executing this. But in some ways I just don't think it was possible, which is why there aren't a lot of American bands that truly capture that, you know, pre 96 Gothenburg sound of something that would have come out in the U S in 96, you know? Even the bands that people throw in there, like Naglafars, Vitra, or something like those, these are bands from like Sunsvall or Stockholm that had nothing to do with it, you know? So, Carl, I wanted to kind of zero in on you for a second because you bring up like 1996. And, you know, I, I wanted to bring up your, your, your music career from that period of time, you know, Feeling Older Faster and come out in 1995. And, uh, you know, I, I love metalcore and stuff like that. So I was curious as to your relationship with metal at that period of time and uh, how it's kind of evolved to now. Yeah, I mean the the band I was in at that time, Threadbare. Uh, everyone in that band, I would say, loved metal of, of different to different uh, levels of intensity. So there was there was definitely that 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 interest. But I also know that the the goal of that band was to to try to do something a little bit different and to be a little bit noisier and and it was you know definitely designed around. A, sort of a cathartic stage experience which didn't leave a lot of room for super intricate guitar playing because we were flying and flying around the place and kind of throwing a fit on stage so that was really more of what the the focus of that band was and that um kind of coincided with when that band ended i i did another project called krakatoa and i tried to and that was that had more of a, a mix of of you know sort of hardcore and 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 metal and I, it was pre the it was before really people started calling it metalcore as 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 a genre on its own. But I, I tried I thought I, I'd try to sneak some Iron Maiden and and uh, In Flames kind of twin harmonies in there so that that, that first album of of Krakatoa is the only album um, had some of those elements and a few of those riffs from my my tapes that i made that i you know did by myself when i 
couldn't find anyone else to play with me. <laughs> so, so that had some of that element to it, but um, it was still, you know, it was still rooted in, in, you know, I think a, a combination of folks who hadn't really fallen in love with that sound the way I had. And um, I was just kind of, Hey guys, listen to this. And, and it was, you know, a matter of me trying to, lead things in one direction while still trying to leave room for everyone else's influences. Uh, I don't know if that's a really roundabout way of saying anything useful. But, uh, no, it's cool. Yeah, they were, they were, um, those, those were the bands that I was in, um, in the, in the nineties for the, the most part that, um, that I, I tried to bring some heavy elements to it, but I, you know, it was always in the back of my head that, you know, I, I'd love to find a way to, to really do something that's not just skirting around the outskirts of, of the metal that I like, but actually fully in, invested in it. And, and that's what took some time to, to, uh, to find the right, right group of people at the right time. I just bought that CD. <laughs> nice. So now, Tanner, I'm going to bother you because I was just bothering Carl. So obviously, you know, you... You have the, this uh, this also very rich kind of relationship with melodic metal and melodic black metal and death metal. So, what originally drew you to melodic death metal back in the day? Um, I guess it was probably just access to things like Metal Maniacs and reading about, yeah, especially like Jeff Wagner's had a, a great piece about melodic death metal. Um, one of the first records I bought was Dark Tranquility Skydancer, and that kind of like became a bible for me. Um, I still don't think there's like a lot of Skydancer on um, something like Vast Reaches Unclaimed necessarily, but like the way that that album kind of like mesmerized me um, as well as like the things that were uh, on, you know, similar labels or compilations like the wrong Gun compilation, everyone like Carl and I could talk about, or everyone could talk about really like a lot of those bands like Miscreant or just like, really kind of not unsettling, but like there are just things in there that are so strange between the, it's not even like dueling guitars. It's just like almost two different ideas, like completely severed sometimes. And the way they resolve into uh, sections or phrasing is just really interesting to me. So as someone, I guess, learning to play guitar, melodic death metal was approachable because it's pretty modal. And, um, yeah, I guess there were folk elements too that drew me to it uh, as someone who liked like Celtic music and was pl- playing and performing Celtic music. Um, you know, so even bands like Sudakra, uh, you know, like Lace from Afar, that album. Um, oh, or, a great album. Yeah, or like uh, Mythotine. You know, like the fact that Mythotine isn't thrown into melodic death metal is blows my mind you know i mean i know they have like their whole viking like we're we're nordic people kind of like whatever stuff but like they sound like a melodic death metal band to me you know oh they do and so yeah i think about like gathered around the open table yeah (laughs) yeah there's just like a lot of great heavy metal going on um like in that stuff like there's just a uh i wasn't able to connect with a lot of like traditional heavy metal when i was younger besides like really strange choices like sabotage hall of the mountain king or something you know or like mana war um but i wasn't into like the power metal of the 90s necessarily besides like maybe jag panzer or something um especially like that Macbeth album they did 
but like even then it was not approachable to me it was a lot of shred there's just something about tremolo picking you know things that like make you excited as a player that you want to like challenge yourself to do so i mean i think it was sort of like culmination of like dark metal becoming a thing from the end records you know like especially agalock's first album uh that just sort of like hit me in a way that like nothing else really did and made me want to kind of pursue, you know, the kind of stuff that I think was coming out then in some ways I'm kind of grateful. I wasn't like good enough to do that back then because I worry I would have kind of like cornered myself (laughs) into a style that was still emerging. And we've, I've certainly like reaped the benefits of like its development over time by continuing the band as obsequia later on, you know, Let's let's talk about dark metal for a sec because that that is an interesting kind of pivot because uh, I I had done a playlist for um, for Pandora that was dark metal it's just this very kind of broad thing that went from like Thy Serpent to Agalok to I even included Skydancer in that and uh, it's just this very kind of nebulous thing so I was wondering like would you consider any of your body of work to kind of fit into that like from autumnal winds through now yeah absolutely like um when the segue first started uh the we we had called ourselves dark heavy metal like that's how i think we had a the myspace profile even said that um i remember that yes yeah, so we were really trying to not be like the fact that segue has ever been considered black metal has always like not pissed me off but it just <laughs> feels like it, it, i wasn't I really wasn't influenced by black metal the way like even my friends were, you know, like I've, I think Ben can attest to this. I mean, you can too, John, we've all known each other a really long time, but like, yeah, it's just uh stuff like Avengers fall of devotion, wrath and blasphemy, like the original sure was on breath of night, you know, a very black metal label, but like Avenger is dark metal. Never mind, Like that they called themselves that later. I mean, stuff that just was like, yeah, like you said, like sort of nebulous and uh, didn't commit to like the tenets of a style, you know, like, but just felt like it had a purpose that was as musical as also kind of like rooted in something not sinister, but maybe j- just, I don't know, it, it went to a, like a deeper place. So like something like melodic death metal doesn't really can't do that. You know, like melodic death metal is still going to be like, this is pretty interesting. There are some ideas here. Dark metal is like you're touching something. You're touching something unknown. I feel like it's like an adrenaline versus uh, versus some like a really uh, thoughtful con- moment of contemplation. I, and that that's kind of to me the way I think of dark metal is it it makes me stop and think. Whereas when I think of melodic death metal, it makes me feel like uh, I'm revved up. And that 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 to me is the is it, to boil it down into the feeling that of what are where I'd use those terms is, is really just an emotional state that <laughs> results from from the uh, not only the aesthetics but the sound. Well, and from there we can talk about the first two Fall of the Leaf albums, uh, Evanescent Never Fading and August Vernica. And I understand that these are very important records to Majesties as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Oh, go ahead, like Carl or Matt, like. Well, you you actually introduced me to them. I had I had Fall the Leaf stuff um, in my collection from the latter years, so I I knew them. I can, that's a band I discovered in reverse order from newer material to the older. And I I guess I just didn't realize that the first two albums 
were what they were um, based on like Aerolith was the was where I discovered them and which is a great album but it's it's completely got a different feel um, and Tanner's like we've heard the first two and I thought oh I, I guess I haven't and and from there it's just a mind blowing experience to to hear those those uh, magical records they're they're kind of perfect in a way I I feel like those two two are like some of the best records I I have in my collection now. Yeah, it's hard to not feel hyperbolic at times because I'm so passionate <laughs> about these bands. But like, so I could say about almost anything like, oh, it's so enormously influential on my playing. In a lot of ways, I felt like when I first heard Evanescent Never Fading, I was hearing, like, for example, like Nick Curian, the guy I did Autumnal Winds with, when I played him that album, he was like, this sounds like you. And, and I was like, oh, damn, like, I think so too. Like, I, um, I mean, I don't, th- I, I don't think it did necessarily, but like there were I, <laughs> things I was playing where it was like constantly, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm all frosty, no cake, especially with the psycho. It's like all harmony, you know? And then it's like the fact that it becomes a song is a miracle, you know, that is sort of a stroke of luck every time, you know? Whereas like UC is more calculated, but like, I definitely wrote that way. I definitely loved kind of like, having a lot of trills, a lot of movement, you know, a lot of like 12, eight, you know, like just that kind of feel. Um, and when I was able to like use the internet, like every other person, like you see, was one of the first people I found, you know, and we've become friends and still are obviously like, um, but I, yeah, I found like Evanescent never fading when I was working at nightfall records, I think it was 1999. I was ordering from Vijay Singh, the owner of defiled records um also has the same name as that golfer <laughs> but we got that stuff at the shop I, I bought three copies of it um you know like i love that album and i think like milwaukee metal fest 2000 is when i actually bought the second album i didn't even know was out until i saw it at like the red stream booth or something um and yeah i jammed that the whole way home <laughs> that was you and go <laughs> what's that that was like the year I, I didn't go. I went to 97, 98, and 01, and then quit going. Yeah. The- so, Tanner, I also understand you went as far as to record an entire cover of Evanescent Ever, Ever Fading, right? Like the whole album. I have, I have like played it. Like there are, there are three albums I can play start to finish. Evanescent Ever Fading and the first two Ophthalami albums. Um, and it's not because I was like, this is a goal of mine. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't think there are any songs I know start to finish besides those bands and those three albums. Like I never bothered to learn a full song that wasn't like a folk song. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I even like when autumn fall got back together, I trolled UC on YouTube with like a private link to a reply for the song to gather. Cause it had like premiered while I was bartending. And I think uh, it might've even been Eric wing from Mork and I were at the bar just listening to it. And then I went home that night and just like played it and like uploaded it, you know, in a matter of hours from when it came out. And I was like, what's up? You see, <laughs> and then I we started talking again, you know, and then of course pandemic, we'd even had some plans. I, I dare I say this and some of it's on the internet forever about like doing something with autumn fall, but you know, shit happens. Oh my goodness. That, that would have been interesting. Autumn. I mean, autumn fall just put out a new album, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. 
Um, and I was, uh, they're re-releasing Evanescent Ever Fading. Finally, I uh, was able to do like the <gasps> intro to that, which I was very flattered. Oh, that's really cool. I need to pick that up. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. More people get to hear that. Um, yeah, I was excited for it to happen on the Hammerheart label a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's kind of magical stuff. I mean, there's there's some... I haven't really described what it is in a way that I can put my finger on, but it doesn't sound like anything else, except a little bit of Tanner. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> that. That's probably why I, it's so special to me. It's like, I hear my friend in there. Yeah, that's really flattering. Again, I, I don't like... I, I am a, a disciple of UC, you know, like really worship what he does and I envy his ability to write. I wish I could write that way. Um, I think there are commonalities, but I don't think I hold a candle to what he does. We were talking to a couple of days ago. I posed the idea of having like an ophthalmia <laughs> kind of band. What's, what do you think would be your next, like, super niche reference project. If you could just have all the free time and money in the world. Um, I don't know. I mean, like for metal. Yeah, I guess it would probably be like a band like Ophelamia. We only talk about metal. We on only this talk podcast. about metal. So yeah, it would be, it would of course be like an Ophelamia style band, right? Okay. So it would be death doom Ophelamia or melodic black metal Ophelamia. It would definitely, yeah, it would definitely be like the first two albums and leaning a little more toward a uh, journey in darkness. Yeah. Oh yeah. What a great album. No. Like that's that's some special stuff. Even like Rip Tony. Even some Pandemonium stuff. I know it's like different, but there's there's some Swanoisms going on in Ophelamia too, and I feel like there's a way to kind of have like a looseness of Ophelamia and some really weird passages that just don't need introduction. Um not like they do in Ophelamia or Pandemonium, they just kind of appear. I really like that kind of I don't know those kinds of albums that have that sort of like visual element to them while you're listening. You just like, there's cuts to another scene without any regard for you and you're just in for the ride. <laughs> uh, ben, you grabbed a CD. What CD did you grab? Well, it's, it's pretty off topic, but Ophthalamia, this, I just got this two CD version of Tualicia. Oh yeah. It's got hey, even more a, demo stuff. Soul Seller did that? Yeah. It's, it's, there's some rough stuff on here, but uh, as, Tony Sarko wrote in there, and he was like, I'm leaving all this stuff, I'm not touching it. It's for you to decide. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. it. And there he is. Uh, Ben's holding a picture of Ophthalamia with it and all, and yeah. And what a great band that was. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time someone's done harsh vocals on this podcast, Ben, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so you guys did a uh, guest DJ special uh, today on Gimme Metal. Can you tell us a bit about the playlist for people like me who were traveling oh, yeah. to Cleveland and could not hear it? It was awesome. I mean, uh, we we got to choose a bunch of uh, our favorites from, uh, you know, really those, those. We tried to keep it from the 90s. I think everything that we played was, except for our song, was was uh, from, you know, 93 to 99. Um, and we didn't. We got we got a little bit of we turned around on this because we we thought we had to keep it to stuff that was easily findable online, which I guess everything is now. But you know through a through a streaming service. But we realized we could have sent demos of 
you know, really obscure stuff. So if we ever do it again, we might really try to to stump the listeners as, as to, you know, digging into, you know, Tanner's collection of obscure demos. But um, it was a lot of, a lot of the, the stuff that we thought, you know, if somebody was, was casually coming to this uh, and maybe hadn't heard some of the foundational greats, this would be a fun place. So we had stuff like Hypocrite and Fatal Embrace, um, Gates of Ishtar, Nightingales, um, I don't know what else. Eternal Fears of Sorrow. Oh, wow. Torment. Any Sins of Omission? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. we, had, we had a list that was like 40 songs long, and we had to cut it down because we realized we were just throwing things in there, and we had to fit it into two hours. So um, if we do it again, that there's there's just so much more we could we could throw at people. Yeah, again, like we didn't know like how obscure we could get. So we thought the parameters were much more narrow, you know, like we weren't even sure you could get like Oberon tale of black or something, you know, like much less someone's demo. Um, so there were definitely people like, you know, melodic death metal nerds like us that were like hitting up the majesty's Instagram today. Like what the fuck? <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> Whoa, sorry. I like too pedestrian for you. Like, <laughs> But it was it was a lot of fun. Those give me radio specials are always fun. Ted and I've done a couple of them, and you know you just kind of you throw whatever you want at them, and they find it. Well, yeah. What did you two do? You get to force your taste. You know, first time we just did like our favorite shit from like just generally speaking. I think it was mostly focused on the last like decade or so, but kind of random. Then last time we did like I think best of la- uh, what was it twenty twenty two. I'm losing track of years now. Well, I can dig up the spreadsheets and actually get real information on this. <laughs> we also like oh, yeah, to get this way too fancy. But yeah, like uh, like I put Doldrum in there and a bunch of other stuff. It was uh, I think Ted called one of my picks gross. I can't think. I don't think it was gross. I don't know about that. You, you oh, called, maybe Lugabrum. Uh, Lugabrum. Yeah, no, it wasn't Lugabrum. It was uh, oh, who was it? This is killing me. It's uh, Jesse from Spite. Horns and hooves. You said was gross. Oh, it's not, it's not gross. It's just really horny. Like, extremely <laughs> horny. <laughs> you mean sexy, not gross. Close. <laughs> gross in the hot way. Having not, there having not heard it, what made it horny? <laughs> oh, I guess I could say uh, this on a podcast. They, uh, uh, they reference some porn things and some mommy things, which are really, really um, interesting to listen to in mixed company. <laughs> huh. just look at the metal archives page i'll basically give you what you need like (laughs) you don't need to listen to it you can just look at the lyrics like oh yeah okay yeah no i mean like one of the big refrains in the first song is fuck my hole and take my soul they're like impaled nazarene you know okay yeah yeah (laughs) i'm tempted to ask you guys i know tanner you're like a gorgrind fan and that surprises me (laughs) have you heard any good gorgrind releases from this year no, uh, you know, I really, I don't know, I feel like I fell off. Like, I think we both ends of the CDR era of 2001. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I've listened to a lot Listen, of You heard that in the first days of humanity? Oh, <laughs> I, I've only seen the logo because I, of course, like misunderstood it. You know, um, I don't know why I don't yeah. have any last of humanity merch. I've wanted a shirt forever. Same with hemorrhage. I don't know. I don't have any good. Or grind shirts. Oh, last days of humanity! What a what a band! 
Yeah. Just, uh, how, like really super pitch shifted like, kind of shit. It's fun. You know, not gore grind per se, but like one album <laughs> I found myself listening to a lot, like the last year especially is in Hume. Um, the, like the first album, I forget, like de- decomposing or something like that. Um, God, it's so good. It's got the drummer from God dethroned. Um, Ben, I don't know if you're, I can't like look something up right now, but if you're on the archives, I'm sure you'd be able to come correct. I'm already there. Oracle. <laughs> uh, Roll Sanders. Composing from inside. Yeah. Yeah. That album is. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. I guess like I've listened to some Flash Parade because I don't know. I lost the CD and they had a Bandcamp page, and I was like, "I'm buying this." Thing. Oh yeah, I need Kill Whitey. Kill Whitey, that's my kind of grind. Yeah, I've seen Ian Hume around a lot. I've never really, maybe I've heard it. I don't know. It's so sick, especially that one above above the others, in my opinion. And I really miss how you used to do the playlists for Hammerheart. If you were doing one for last year, are there any like non-metal things that blew you away that people wouldn't be surprised that you liked? No, I don't think so. Um, how long? Well, how about Carl or Matt? How about what? How about Carl or Matt? Non-metal stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is, uh, I, I've been listening to this ever since. I mean, Tanner, you, you shared this with me, but, um, uh, and it's like super hard to, to Google, but the band is called Evo. So it's like Devo, but drop the D. Um, and the album is called Eva, E-V-A. And it's like, it's to me, it's just magical um, early music. It's medieval. And so, of course, Tanner is going to be the one to tell me about it. And it's one of the best things I've ever heard. And I, I, I've been listening to it for the last couple of years, just kind of nonstop whenever Whenever my brain needs a break, um, it's it's perfect, but it, uh, not easily Googleable. Googleable because I think there's about twenty other electronica acts that have that same name. I found it on Discogs. Yeah, it, it's got yeah, a send me a link. Yeah, it's 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 magical. Uh, for me, I blame Tanner for this one too, and it's a very very unlikely one. Uh, the Scott Walker three album. Uh, oh yeah. I've listened to that. I was literally listening to that while I was doing the driveway this afternoon. And then the newest venomous concept record I've been liking quite a bit too. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah. That's been you talked about something interesting on the nine circles podcast. He was, he was, he was like saying, what would your dream album be? And you were talking about something like multi-layered vocal harmony kind of, prog was it or something not yeah it it definitely has some prog in it it's i would you know how in extra when we do those little clean breaks every once in a while that i get to stack like a ludicrous amount of vocals on top of like those are like 30 40 tracks sometimes and i try to make this just absolute wall of sound vocal that kind of has and, and the goal of the vocal was to have a clean vocal that has the same weight as Carl's guitars do, where it's like you're kind of occupying every space, but yet all the parts work together and yet they all kind of smear together. I would love to find a way, and I've messed around with this quite a bit in writing in kind of a, trying to do like a proof of concept where I can stack vocals like that and still have it be, and, and not just vocals, it'd be, it'd be a, the band behind it too, but to find a way to have 
those happen more often in in the music like that is the feature it's like it's not one person doing the lyric it's like it's that wall of vocalists doing it and every once in a while you break it out to one for an effect but if i could find a way to make that have that kind of heaviness and it doesn't have to be lyrics even per se it could just be sounds it could be vowel sounds it could be it doesn't have to all even be clean but it has to have that weight and i've it, it's it's partially inspired by growing up and listening to like the the beach boys and stuff like that and then i have to say it's equally inspired by carl and how he arranges guitar parts and when he lets me take off like that where i can just stack the most ridiculous vocals it's like ah this would be kind of fun i don't know if anybody's ever really done it before and i think i could do well do it well and uh i haven't figured out the the through point yet but uh it's been fun trying so yeah, you really had me thinking. Like, is there something that I know of that could maybe kind of fit that? But I haven't really solved that yet. I kind of thought of like if there was like a Julie Cruz that was like acapella or something. But are you thinking of something more like energetic or heavy? Oh, way more. It'd be heavy. The point is to okay. be heavy. It's still got to be a riff. It's still got to be all about the riff. But uh, to ha- occupy that much space, I obviously you know something's got to go. So it's probably gonna have to be pared down to you know two guitars drums bass kind of thing you know a pretty uh not super layered riffs obviously and then uh strings uh stint strings obviously uh until i can afford to hire an arranger for all of it but uh to find a way to fit all of that together it, it the whole point of it is to be overwhelmingly driven by vocal and it's supposed to kind of consume you that's the 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 feel of it like you put it on and it's like you just get lost in it and uh maybe not even all that dynamic um just keep it kind of that wall of sound so i don't even i don't even know like i said it's a concept i'm trying to figure out at this point matt you know whenever you make that though you're you're it's you're gonna make everything i do obsolete and i i can't wait for it i'm so excited to hear you come up with this idea well we'll probably have to do it together so what <laughs> like, i'm it's a bass player you guys <laughs> well have you heard van canto i would think it's weird that <laughs> so many things together but it's because we're buddies and we like to do everything together you gotta hear van canto they're an acapella power metal band and they do a mean cover of battery i'll check it out i'll check it out that's the the fear i have with doing it is like i don't want people to look at it like and this is like no disrespect or anything to when somebody not of the metal genre takes metal into their world and kind of, you know, makes it their version. I really appreciate it, but it's not for metal people ever. It's like, if there's a way to create that atmosphere and that weight of emotion and the, that, a, that a great riff or, um, and a great song can do, if I could figure out a way to do that with, with the vocals being as intense as they are. I'm going to check out Van Canto. I've had a couple of people recommend certain things to me too, but they both, they all kind of ended up as power metal and power metal is I, I can appreciate it. I don't really like a lot of it because it's just too over the top for me. Um, but, uh, well, Van Canto is horrible, but you got to hear it. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And Van Canto, just to kind of give you an idea, uh, the uh, the the guitarists they actually like mic up two guitar amps and they go rocket taka rocket taka rocket taka rocket taka dow 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 it's terrible it's awful man Canto if you're listening to this please stop 
<laughs> it sounds like a choir teacher from high school used to play metal in the early seven in the mid seventies. Like I've got this idea for everybody. So here's a stack, Marshall stack, and here's a microphone. Anyways, I would love to hear someone do like metal that takes on more of the spirit of like mellow candle or something where it's but it's but it's not like psychedelic doom. You know, like it would be much more uh, like sinister, I guess. I was just sort of thinking about like, um, yeah, some of the sort of like folk psych prog and just like how difficult it is to kind of have the push and pull of something like that. Like speaking of like something like ophthalmia that has like tremendous push and pull. It'd be fun to see that uh, like heavier or, you know, something like that. I sort of had an answer while I was listening to Matt too. Like I haven't listened to a lot just because I've had a lot going on uh, like recently with moving and stuff, but like one non-metal thing I would say is definitely Kyostad. Um, and it's sort of like music, concrete industrial style, like noise, uh, but very, very uh, like serene and uh, meditative. It's certainly not like shocking or something like that. It's on new forces. Um, but that guy actually is playing in Providence this weekend and I was going to go and I realized we we're doing the heavy metallurgy on the 17th. I'm totally going to miss it, but yeah, I would definitely say Kyostad has been something I've had on a lot, all of extinctionist warlord, all of his recordings. Um, and he used to live in Minneapolis. I, I don't think I ever met him years ago when he lived there, which is a shame. Found a bomb in camp. All right, I'll check that out. When you saw, when you talk about metal candle doom, the something popped into my head. Dolvin, you remember that Jason Walton did like an acoustic doom kind of thing a couple years ago? Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember Dolvin. Yeah, wonder what happened. Oh, he has. He, they did a second he, album. They put out a new album a couple years ago. Yeah, it's great. Um, somehow still has great yeah. artwork too because I didn't think they could top that. Yeah, the artwork on the first one's so good. Yeah, it's it's Jason. This guy Nick Woos, right? Yeah, that's that's a good project. Yeah, they're excellent. Oh, what is the sample at the end of Seekers? Oh shit! It's in Sweden. yeah. It's um, uh, it's from a Bergman film. Um, God, I so lazily lifted that. I, f- I actually forget. It might be Wild Strawberries. Uh, Carl, do you have that? I don't. No, I mean, I, I think <laughs> you just said here. Here's. I thought it was from. I mean, it's not Seventh Seat. No, definitely it? not. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't either. Yeah, how cool are we to not know what that sample is? <laughs> yeah, it was real pivotal and important, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was sort of just if it works. I think at the time, like I was just asking because I think like I don't have my like email up right now because I'm not at the computer, but like I feel like I might have emailed that to you. Just thought it might be kind of funny and owed to our grandmothers to have something Swedish on this album since it is ripping off Swedish metal. So if you, you talked a little bit about doing another album, would you, would you get bored doing more of the same or would you change it up a little bit or maybe like write with Kerr with that? Maybe change the way you wrote? I don't think we're going to get bored. We have so much fun, uh, like so much fun uh, passing riffs, even like riffs that we may not even use. Like, I don't know. Carl, you could probably speak to this. Like, even since the release, we've had so many file exchanges back and forth between the four of us. 
Yeah, and, and and Tanner and I still got together even after the you know 2017 where we said these are the 10 songs. We'd still get together and and have writing sessions, and you know there's there's just a, a ton of stuff that probably we could go back and say yeah this is a this is a good song. But part of it too is that um, it's fun to it's fun to start writing now with more intention, whereas before it was just we'd get together and every idea that we thought of would, would get recorded. And, you know, some of it may be more fun for us to play and, you know, in the moment than for, you know, somebody to sit back and listen to for enjoyment. So I think we're, we're probably focusing more on a little bit of a, an intentional writing approach to it now is that, you know, we're looking at, you know, let's, let's write, write as a, you know, as a song rather than just as a, a direct uh, repository for every riff we can think of. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think too, we having this record come out and be real. Uh, I don't know if for Matt or Tanner, if you feel the same way, but I, I feel a little bit more confident that, Oh, well, this is, this is something that is not just, you know, scratching an itch for, for the three of us, but also that, that means something to, um, you know, to other other people who also love this this sound, and so um, I feel like since we've we've had that connection this time, that you know, it's important for us to to be able to maintain that that feeling without. I don't. I mean, I don't see that Majesty is taking a curveball or becoming alternative metal or something like that. Yeah, what's the point? That just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not we're not claiming to make a living off of this music, and we're not trying to have you know a, a thirty-year career of it. It's it, you know, so we we're not having to chase anything that's going to make us you know commercially viable as a as a living. Um, so it, I think we're going to still follow this this particular muse until we fall out, run out of ideas, which hopefully won't be for a while. Yeah, I mean, like one of the best parts about this is like uh, being able to like have this limited period of time to draw influence from anything else doesn't make sense. Like we're not going to evolve as majesties. We're just going to probably get better at honing in on things we really like about that period that haven't maybe been done in quite the way that we might do them. And there's a lot to work with there. Like you, especially we've often talked about sacrilege, you know, but um, working with a drummer who can play melodically and sort of like dictate songs uh, in a way that a lot of other drummers can't, you know, like Daniel Erlinson or Daniel Svensson, you know, like working with John Kerr will be awesome just in the way that he's able to speak to melodies and maybe stop a riff or carry it on a little longer, you know, and like build up some excitement that we're just not going to get from like scratching out ideas. Um, I mean, it took a lot just to be able to arrange the 10 songs we did where we're like, where are we going to have some like stop and start? We're going to have some switch ups, you know, like there was a lot of, a lot of work involved with that, but like, yeah, I think we've not evolved the style, but our own projects in Exorum and of Segway have, you know, deep roots in this and we've already done our part, I guess, like not even on purpose to evolve that style just because it's a part of a greater narrative, you know, that involves us. But with this band, we're still focusing on, you know, where the uh, where the embers are still warm. <laughs> so, are we going to hear the other sixteen songs ever from those sessions? Hell no. <laughs> what? That's, ah, 
You're going to send them to me, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I'll totally send them to you, John. Like, absolutely. <laughs> I want to hear them. Yeah, there's 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 one that I'm making a pitch for a, a, a revamp on, but I don't feel, like, super strong about it because we just keep writing new stuff that's just as exciting. Yeah, yeah Tanner's on roll, right? Cut what, it, what I don't need to hear. I feel like it would maybe just dilute the power of these 10 songs. If, if there was like more stuff that you didn't feel super great about. Yeah. Like one of the best parts about this band is like when we get to meet all of our heroes in court. What's <laughs> <laughs> your fan? Melodic death metal litigation. Majesty style. Yeah. That's oh, the one gosh. thing I, I, I hope we, we never do is, and I always, I worry about this because there's just so much material out. It's like, have I has have I heard this done exactly this way before? And that's what we try to we, we try to avoid that. I mean, to, to the best of our ability, we never want to just you know wholesale rip somebody off. I mean, I know we we joked about that on this this session, but I, you know, we that's not the intent. Is we want it to we want to have our own spin on this, and it, it's it's meant to be you know something that stands on its own, not that's just a and I, I heard this word used recently as it's a, a pastiche and that's not, it's not the intent. It's just the, you know, we want the feeling, but not, you know, it's still meant to be something that stands on its own. And, and hopefully we, we, we can straddle that line. I know it's, that's, that's a difficult challenge. Yeah. I think you guys did a, a great job of like emulating your heroes, but also performing your personality as musicians without, you know, anything being out of balance. I think that just comes through to everybody and they just see that personality, but that references. And I think people are just kind of blown away by that. Thank you. I, that's that's for myself. <laughs> yeah. You kind of can't help like inserting yourself in there. Like I, I didn't try to, I don't necessarily think Carl did either. It's just in some ways, like speaking for myself, it's like a miscommunication of me trying to do what someone else did correctly, which I feel like is where style sometimes comes in it's like how you do something wrong becomes your style <laughs> that's exactly it we do lots of things oh yeah we do but they, but they feel so right feels awesome that's something um jillian brought up like last year or so she said like good ideas are usually a path that somebody fucked up the first time around does that make sense yeah I, I that really got me thinking about that. And I reflect on that a lot. Yeah, I try and create a lot of future ideas for people by fucking up my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fertile ground. You suppose there's like an open invite for a second album? With 20 oh yeah. Spin? There's like a, um, there is one. Yeah. And I don't think like Thomas Nyquist is hurting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been awesome working with Dave and, and David at Earsplit and, and Ian at Sure uh, Sure Shot works for EU. I mean, it's been awesome. So that's a powerful team you got working for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, amazing. It's fun. I hope like people also kind of get that. Like I've seen. Maybe it's just because like I'm looking at everything on the internet. <laughs> you know, like how do people feel about this? You know, but um. Of course, like people use the word hype a lot. And like, this might be the first release I've ever been a part of where I feel like that word has been thrown around so much. And I also realized like, oh yeah, we put out a genre record. Like there is a, 
uh, it's not just because it's more collaborative and, and like, and we all wrote this music. It wasn't like one person. I think it's like taking a step back and releasing something like that, where you realize like, Oh, there's a standard for this, you know? And so when you have like a mission statement, maybe like our, you know, the one that Dave wrote about like what majesties is about. And people are like, okay, well, those are off the expectations. And then a couple of people are like, they're met. And then some other people are like, they are not met, you know, <laughs> like it's been interesting to like, see, uh, I don't know for me, at least, I don't know. Where are you finding people who are saying that <laughs> this didn't live up to their expectations? Yeah, I want to, I want to beat oh, these people up. I no. guess, I guess I didn't, I guess I think maybe there's an idea that like, when people are reviewing things, they're like, this isn't very original. And it's like, did you understand the <laughs> premise of this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think everyone uh, sort of, especially like in the metal archives world, they're like, they're not doing anything original. They're not like evolving their style. And it's like, I just, I don't understand how someone misses of this so much, you know? I think that's the problem. Like the internet gives people a, uh prior to a reason to prioritize complaining about something or saying something negative. And so when you just have to force something like that, that's the kind of shit you hear. Yeah, certainly. It's just silly. It just goes whoosh sometimes. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's been strange to, to, uh, you know, you, you always say, don't read the comments. And, and in this case, I, I have read comments and it's mostly been fun. And I, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged because it makes me feel like people are having fun with it. And every once in a while you see something where it's not landing for somebody. And, and I, I sometimes agree with it. I mean, you know, I, I can say uh, where, where someone's coming from and the only time it's a bummer is if it's just a kind of a bad faith argument that, um, and the, the one that always irritates me is if somebody dismisses it just because of program drums without, without really understanding how much Panner put into that. And, and, we wouldn't have put it out if it didn't sound right. And, you know, I'm, I'm the first person to say that I, I, I often in my history, uh, I, I avoided stuff with program drums because I'd heard so many bad examples of it where it was just, you know, pss, 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 you know, a robot and it didn't sound right. And, and I always felt like I, I never wanted to do that. And, and Tanner cracked that code and, and of making it sound the way we wanted it to sound. And, and I, so I just, I, I guess I feel, you know, like those types of comments always make me go, ah, ah did you, I hope you listen to it at least. Um, <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe it can change, change an opinion about whether that's a, a valid artistic decision, because I think it is. Yeah. I don't know if people really caught on with the <laughs> last Sequoia album, how much Owen, Owen. Okay. Got it right. Um, like, kind of stuck to what you wrote on superior drummer for that album. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like I wrote it on superior. I just like MIDI blocks, you know, like it's just, I, I have, I have to, I'm like a pretty, I, I have to like start with rhythm. And so like a lot of times, like when I open up a project, I'll just like drag and drop like triplets or straight, you know, 16th notes. And then eventually, you know, put emphasis on, on, you know, a strong note or a weaker note and then make kick and snare patterns, you know, or have ostinatos, you know, just like go for a whole song before I decide how to assign them. But I really like kind of adventurous rhythm, at least like, yeah, um, I'm not to take away from like, Owen, like Owen fucking rules, 
like he's an amazing drummer and like his style is all over that record, but I, I did write all those parts, you know. Are you playing any Panopticon shows yeah, this year? Yeah, I'm going to rehearse in Minnesota next month and then we're playing Kentucky and then a European tour in June. <clears throat> oh yeah, you're playing that show with Marty. Yeah, right? yeah, Gloria Stead will be there. I think we have a couple other sort of like to be announced things uh, which are cool as well. That's great. That'll be a great show. I can't believe half the band is in New England now and we're still practicing in Ely. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, Ely is all the way up north in Minnesota. It is very far. Yeah. It's practically Canada. Yeah, bud. It's it's up there. You got a snowmobile to the gas station. <laughs> or is there anywhere you can go that's closer? Um, No, I mean, we still have to go up there. That's where everything is. The flight is only half the battle. All right. Well, gosh, everyone, this has been great. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy we had a chance to talk about Majesties and, and, and a bunch of other stuff. But I want to kind of leave the floor open to all of you before we, uh, before we cut this short and uh, see if there's anything you want to say about Majesties or any of your own projects. I mean, just thanks. Um, thanks to all of you. I mean, this has been a fun, you know, fun to chat. I mean, you know, we're, we're friends and, and that's, that makes it really comfortable, but it's, um, it's always, it's always, uh, really special to, to talk about your own music and be your own art and have anyone care about it. It's just a, a gift. So, I mean, thanks, thanks to everybody who's been so enthusiastic about that, about this record. I mean, it, it, it certainly feeds us and, you know, I, I can speak for all three of us. I think we've all had our, our doubts, uh, you know, on occasion of, should we, is this right? Am I an imposter? But, um, it really means a lot to, to be able to talk about it. And, um, you know, we, we don't take it for granted for a second. So, so thanks very much. Agreed. I don't think I could say anything better than Carl just did. It means a lot. Um, the interest and, and just again, being able to have the kind of friendship we have has just been enormously rewarding uh, through all of our projects together. I miss you guys all the time. Oh, definitely. That was really nice, Tim. <laughs> I mean it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. Well, uh, thank you again to Majesties, to Carl, Matthew, and Tanner. It was really great having you. Uh, this has been the Invisible Oranges podcast. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.